0: Hey Holly! Hey Dave! Welcome to the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
1: So happy to be here today.
0: What is happening?
1: <laughs> How you doing?
0: I'm good. Stash is uh, looking looking fine for Movember.
1: Movember, you do it. looks it looks very good. We're gonna have to highlight this on our on our YouTube or on our on our social media because everyone should get a load of this stash.
0: I, I don't want to creep anyone out. It is kinda, it's kind of
1: pretty bitching.
0: Uh, <laughs> bitching is a word you use in the '70s, and that's when our band. That we're going to talk about started out.
1: That is a good segue.
0: Well, I try. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about Aerosmith. It's their their 50th anniversary. It was 50 years ago in November that they played a small venue, which was actually a school, <laughs> like you like most bands do. You start out in a high school.
1: Who play? What big bands play in a high? Start out in a high school auditorium.
0: If I remember, Van Halen used to uh play at their high school in Pasadena, and or or block parties or whatever they did, and back in the day. But I'm sure Aerosmith did the same thing. That was oh, the they thing.
1: all did. I think I'm pretty sure Rush did. I think all the big bands did back then, but not now. You don't hear about any bands playing in high schools, but I think that would have been cool. Could you imagine? I saw Rush when they played at my high school.
0: Yeah, I know. It was a thing. It but was we- a thing. <laughs> but we're going to learn all about Aerosmith and uh, facts and figures and uh, stats and whatever else you need. Uh, who are we talking to today? Holly?
1: we are talking to richard Beanstock. he just wrote a book actually he just made an uh, wrote an updated edition of the aerosmith 50th anniversary the ultimate illustrated history of the bad boys from boston
0: this came out 10 years ago and as we talk about in this podcast the the band's uh, soap opera continues there's always drama there's always something going on with the band so we're going to touch on everything old and things that are new and, and everything Aerosmith.
1: So let's welcome Richard Beanstock to the What Difference Does It Make podcast.
0: All right. Do you want to talk Aerosmith? Yeah, let's
2: do it. <laughs> I, I, will, um, I will just start off by saying that this book originally was written about 10 years ago, and most of it I haven't looked at since then, so... <laughs> But, you know, but I, I think I have a pretty good handle on it. Uh, but obviously we added to it this year for the 50th anniversary. But what did you add to it? We did uh, We did another chapter at the end, which was basically covering the last 10 years of the band yeah. since the book first came out, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, uh. and we put it out because it mm-hmm. was this month, 50 years ago, that Aerosmith had uh, their, their first official show under the, yes. the band name in a high school. Mm-hmm. What was the original lineup?
2: I mean, as far as I can remember, it was it was Tyler Perry, Whitford, Joey Kramer, and I guess Ray. Oh no, I'm sorry, it wasn't Whitford. It was Ray right. Tabano on second guitar, and Tom
0: Hamilton on bass. The friend of Steve Tyler, um, right? He was Ray the one. Tabano. Yeah, he was. Was he the one who designed the Aerosmith logo? I believe so. Yeah,
2: yeah. And he's still out there, sort of. You know, my my understanding, I think, is that. You know, before all this COVID stuff, maybe you could find him playing in a bar in a cover band. I'm not 100 percent sure about that, but I think that he was still kind of out there doing it, you know, as a hobbyist.
1: I guess I love that so many of these bands got their start playing at schools, you know, high schools and, and totally. middle schools back then. It doesn't it doesn't happen like that anymore.
2: No, I mean, that's where <laughs> I got my start. Um, it just it didn't it just didn't, you know, progress. To arenas and stadiums, after that. But it started the same way. So,
0: yeah. So, so what is your Aerosmith story? When did you first hear of the band, and what what year and all that? Um,
2: I, I don't even know what year. I mean, it, it definitely started early. I'm 44 now. You know, I would say so. I was around 10, I guess, when the Run DMC Walk This Way came out, um, but which is kind of when I feel like they came back into the the public consciousness, but I was pretty into them already. I just, I had an older brother. I have an older brother who was a fan. Uh, You know, we had, I definitely know my first Aerosmith record was that Red Greatest Hits record, which I think came out in 1980 and um, was actually pretty crappy because it had, like, you know, <laughs> right. the edited version of Sweet Emotion. Like, all the songs were, like, edited and cut in weird ways. Um, but so I do know by the time they kind of came back and they were on MTV and all that, I was already an Aerosmith fan and knew all the hits, you know. Um, I would imagine probably the first song I heard was Sweet Emotion at some point on my brother's stereo. But But yeah, so it feels like they've just always been there in my life
0: was that was it on cassette the edited one i'm sure you had it on cassette it was for yeah, for, yeah. cut for time i guess because you know you know right, something. yeah
1: home. yeah the radio and, version and, yeah
2: and like actually sort of a weird sort of track list to like you know stuff like i think like remember walking in the sand and it was good song but not you know one of the nine mm. top ones i guess but but it was cool it was a cool little compilation
1: Okay, I had actually forgotten. I, I happen to like that song. It wasn't my Aerosmith era, but I happen to like that song a lot. And I had forgotten about it until I was listening to an Aerosmith playlist this morning. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> so, I like their version of it. I think it's yeah, great.
2: No, no disrespect. It just, you know, it, it, I'm surprised it made the cut. But
0: yeah, they've done, a lot of their hits were were cover songs.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they had some good covers
0: there. You know, yeah. big ten inch. Yeah. Their first one, you know, I, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> which
2: maybe, maybe that one should have been on it. You know, uh, so did you? Past.
0: So did you work backwards? What was so? I mean, it's kind of interesting that you were like in the '80s. You discover probably from run the Run DMC Walk This Way version. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, were you a rap fan, or how did it come about for uh, to you to you yeah know, to find this I band? Mean, I was
2: always just a rock fan. I mean, the early 80s was sort of the time of, like, classic rock radio coming in into the scene also. So I grew up on, like, you know, Zeppelin and The Stones and The Who and The Beatles and all that stuff and Aerosmith. And then, you know, by, by the early 80s, I got into heavier stuff. So by that time, I mean, at a very young age, I was listening into, like, Motley Crue and Rat and all that kind of stuff. And Def Leppard, like the stuff that kind of took over MTV um, right before Aerosmith came back. Yeah. So... By the time they came back in with Run DMC, I mean, I was definitely more of a rock fan than a rap fan, but everyone listened to Run DMC and the Beastie Boys and all that kind of stuff okay. as well.
0: Yeah, early um, 80s are a, were a bad time for Aerosmith. I would imagine you... I mean, yeah. as a kid, just kind of like, well, these guys are, you know, just kind of crap. I don't... I don't. Why are these <laughs> guys popular? Because, I mean, I... You know, I yeah, kind of came in... Everyone t- would
1: say crap. Oh, yeah, I would. Well, actually, <laughs> oh, I didn't...
0: Because I... I people talked about Dylan and Neil Young right. as as these superstars and in the 80s th- that was their lost mm-hmm. period. I didn't I kind of blew them off and I would mm-hmm. imagine as a kid you're like, well, what's the big deal about Aerosmith? Yeah,
2: yeah I mean I would I would say because I was listening to mostly 60s and 70s classic rock, like I was pretty okay in tune with what they were doing. but I will say like by the time that that walk this way video came out, I did think that they were like super old um and granted they're much younger than i am right now but it was like there's some old dudes playing guitars you know but um that was just coming from the perspective of a 10 year old so you yeah, know they were actually fairly young dudes playing, <laughs> playing guitars now oh um, yeah right but but yeah so so i was just all of which is to say i i mean they're just one of those bands that i feel like has been a part of my life for my life you know i love them
0: did you come up with the idea for a, a book on the band or what was uh, what was the impetus?
2: I think it may... I don't want to say it was 100%. My idea was definitely a conversation between me and the the editor of the book um, who was great. His name is Dennis Pernu. I had gotten in touch with him because I had read some of the other uh, books that Voyager Press had put out. I think at the time they had just recently put out a similar type of book to this on Neil Young. They'd done... A pink floyd one i think a queen one there was a zeppelin one um and i just liked the layout of the books i was working at guitar world magazine at the time and i think it had gotten sent to me like a review copy of one of these books and i was like oh it's a cool book um and somehow i knew someone that knew dennis and we got to talking and the idea came up to to work on a book together and i'm not sure which one of us said aerosmith Might have been me, because a lot of times when I'm pitching anything, they're one of the first bands. I (laughs) So, but it just, but we were both, it came together pretty quickly. I do remember that, that everyone was into it and we just moved forward with it.
1: I gotta say, and for our listeners too, this is an an illustrated history. It's called the Ultimate Illustrated History of the Bad Boys from Boston. So I was expecting from the title, I was expecting it to be, I mean, the pictures are fabulous, but there's, it is chock full of information. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, no,
2: yeah, like I definitely, I mean, the photos are great. I, you know, I was writing the book separately from knowing what was going to be happening on the on the photo end. Mm. I didn't even see that until the layout came together after the, after the writing part was done. But I definitely went down the rabbit hole as far as information. I mean, my, the, you know, at the time I was living in an apartment in New York City and it, I, you know, the bedroom and everywhere was just stacks of books and printouts and like, you know, just anything that I could find on the band, um, you know, and combined with the decades of knowledge just from following them. But my life was just Aerosmith for uh, however many months that, that all went on and it was fun to do. It was definitely, you know, it can drive you a little crazy going that deep into any subject, mm-hmm. but it was a blast and it wound up, I mean, the manuscript probably wound up being, you know, 50 percent longer than it was supposed to be so we we crammed a lot of information in there and some sidebars and different sort of end pieces and really you know i figured if we were going to do it like let's just let's do it
1: were the pictures chosen by you were they no that that came
2: from the publisher side and dennis Pernew. yeah so they handled uh, and they i mean they did some impressive stuff just in terms of i'm looking through it right now um yeah just in terms of some of the memorabilia and artifacts they found. And like, I mean, there's the photos are great, but then just, you know, set lists and like rare single covers and, and just all this sort of, you know, ticket stubs. Ticket and, stubs, yeah. And it, like, so it's just some really cool stuff. A lot of it, I was like, wow, I've never seen that before, you know. So, so it was fun for me even to, to get it and look through it.
1: Yeah, it's fun to see a ticket stub with a $4 price tag on it.
2: <laughs> yeah right oh my god it's crazy for like 10 bands that are all in right. rock and roll hall of fame there.
0: I used to do that yeah, yeah. you know I, I love always the, the start of bands because and um, and just seeing like things that they that they had to do or places they had to play mm-hmm. bands they opened up for I mean it's uh you know I I think you put in there they opened up for Shauna Na at one point uh, right yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> you know a, a gig is a gig so that's I think that's what That's what built them, and it was always it was interesting that I didn't I didn't even realize at the time that um, that their debut album really wasn't that well received when it first came out. You know, right? They had to work for it.
2: Yeah, and you see, and you see the story with a lot of bands, but really the ones that are successful. I mean, it's just you know, sure, there's all like the fun stuff and the partying and the and all that, but like they work so hard and they work all the time and they play anywhere and everywhere. And they live hand to mouth and, you know, they play with Shanana, whoever it might be. And Shanana great. I mean, you know, I grew up listening to that too, like, <laughs> but you know, you, you really, you hope to get across with these types of in-depth, you know, stories, how the work ethic, you know, and like how driven these people are because tons of people join bands and start bands and learn how to play instruments and all that. Um, But only a few of them make it. And like they say, you know, it's whatever, 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. you know, but like, but these guys work their asses off, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's how they get where they are.
1: They probably have the longest, there are things that, you know, I didn't even remember and I've been, you know, following them since I was, you know, a kid. Mm -hmm. Things that I didn't remember, they have a lot, I mean, aside from the drug, you know, the debauchery, all of that, they have a long and storied history. And something I I was read, they seem to have sustained a lot of injuries. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, there's, I mean, (laughs) it's funny because I think that was one thing I remember, too, about writing the book. Like, you kind of figure... At some point with these bands, because the history, especially the early stuff, it does get really in depth and it gets very like knotty and tangled and granular. And you kind of hope once you get through that and then you get through the glory years and kind of the breakup and then they're back together and they're just kind of riding out this kind of elder statesman success. You kind of hope at that point you can kind of also coast on the book. (laughs) But not with these guys, because it's like, even writing this last chapter for this new version about what happened the last 10 years, it's like, it's, it's so tumultuous, especially for guys that are now in their sixties and seventies. Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of physical and mental and emotional anguish going on and it kind of never let up for better or worse. You know, they're still here.
1: (laughs) Makes for a good book. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes.
2: <laughs> but that, Maybe that's why they did it, you know, just to, to give me material.
0: Anyway. <laughs> did you get the band's blessing at all? Uh, did you talk to anyone from, uh, from the band?
1: Yeah,
2: not for the book, but I have interviewed them many times over the years. Um, and a lot of that is in the book. Um, and for, you know, I write for a lot of different outlets, but my main outlet over the years has been uh, guitar world magazine and I spent a few decades there as an editor in different capacities. So during that time, I've talked to Joe and Brad, and in particular, Joe, a mm-hmm. lot. You know, So a lot of that material is in the book.
0: Yeah. Uh, it is interesting, though, that as great a guitarist as Joe Perry is, back in the day, some of these songs, he wasn't... Uh, uh, was he not skilled enough to play the lead on, uh, on like these early albums, or what, uh, what? What is the story of Joe Perry and, and his studio work?
2: Okay. The um, well, the the sort of the train kept it rolling, Yuck. you know, Steve Hunter, right? Stuff. Um, well, you know, as far and it's always been a bit convoluted. As far as I know, I feel like that is the only song. Maybe there's one other on the record. I don't remember where that ever happened. And I think it was probably just one of those things at the time, like producer's choice. You know, again, it's not something I really, I don't remember exactly what's in the book about it. Um, and it's been a while since I've kind of read this that, that story. Uh, but yes, Joe is not playing the lead on The Drink after rolling their version of it on Get Your Wings. I don't know that it was anything in particular. Maybe Jack Douglas thought Hunter would do a better job. Who knows? I I imagine it's one of those things like Joe clearly was playing all these other solos at the time. He probably could have done that one. You know, it's not the only time something like that has happened with the band. So maybe it was just kind of a spur of the moment choice that made it easier and quicker to get things done or to get where they were trying to go. I don't even remember if it was something that, you know, had Joe's blessing or the band's blessing.
1: It, it was portrayed as he was agreeable to it, and um, Brett Whitford too, I think, also okay. didn't, yeah, play on it. Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't. I, I think that's right. Because um, I've I've heard this happening with other bands too, and it's not always such a comment on their their skill, or sometimes it's just wanting a specific thing in that song. And I wouldn't want to put words in anyone's mouth about why that was done. But yeah. But I think otherwise, it's always been them, and it's always been one of those things too, where. I mean, Joe is clearly the guy out front, but everyone knows that Brad is a great guitarist as well. And and some of his leads, like stuff like Last Child, is the stuff that people really celebrate and love. You know, so it's so these guys, these guys certainly have the skills. So I don't, I don't really know why that happened at the time.
0: All right, we're in the middle of our fascinating talk with Richard Beanstock, he of the Aerosmith 50th anniversary book. We'll be right back.
3: And these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're gonna ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So What are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon.
1: And we're back with our interview with Richard Beanstock, author of Aerosmith 50th Anniversary, The Ultimate Illustrated History of the Bad Boys from Boston.
0: What is your impression of Joe Perry? You've talked to him a number of times. What, uh, yeah. What's he like? Obviously, he's driven. What is his approach mm. to guitar?
2: Joe has always been great. I mean, I've had the opportunity to, to actually go and spend time at his house a few times for some of these interviews near in the Boston area. And also at his house is where they have, he has, the studio, the Boneyard, where they've done some of their recordings. So getting to go down there and see all the guitars and just all the equipment and everything, and and even getting to to sort of play with him a little bit. Um, You know, he's just a really, he's a very natural player. And he's very, he'd probably be the first to tell you, like, he's not the most technical type of player. Um, which is fine. That that doesn't really mean anything in the long run. But he has such a. This, I mean, maybe even Brad is the more technical of the two. Um, they would probably say as much. But Joe has such a particular style and sound and and touch where you just know it's him. I mean, mm-hmm. I can hear a lead guitar part and know that it's Joe just because. I've been listening to Joe for 40 years, you know, so like you, you know, his sound and not and you don't know that with every guitarist like that's a special thing when somebody has that. So to get back, I guess, to the original question a little bit more, you know, as far as Joe's approach and, and again, like I've only probably the first time I interviewed him was, you know, like early mid 2000s. But at that point already, I mean, he's he's like an an elder statesman. Like, I, you know, his whatever he approach whatever his approach to the guitar is, it's probably much more relaxed at that point than it was when he was younger. And it's just very natural. He picks it up. He plays like him. But he's very in touch with the instrument. Like he picks it up, and it's just sort. Of, it just seems a lot of these guys. It, it just seems like a part of them.
1: It's and an extension get, of him for yeah, sure. It's,
2: you get it. It's you get that feeling from him when he's playing. And personality-wise, I mean he was always super laid back and, and very open to, you know, any sort of question and very welcoming, you know, I like him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, so then let's go to the early eighties when Aerosmith yeah. did not have Joe Perry and there was the mm-hmm. Joe Perry project. Have you revisited those? I mean, when you were doing the book, I'm sure you, yeah. you kind of went down the hole and listened to those albums. What What's your impression now of those records? Is it, did Aerosmith need, Tyler and Perry, they need, you know, yeah. the they need to have each other. You know, it's like Jagger and Richards and, you know, like every classic duo. Um, sure. But 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 they're not that those records aren't that bad, actually. I mean, but uh, what yeah. do you what do you think of those and wait and the Joe <laughs> Perry project?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you can I mean, you can look at the Joe Perry project and then you can also look at the Aerosmith record without Joe and Brad on it, um, which isn't terrible either. Um, you know. Probably not their worst record. Certainly not their best either. But um, but there are a few good songs on on rock in a Hard Place. As far as the Joe Perry project, the first Joe Perry project record, Let the Music Do the Talking, I think honestly is like almost as good as Danny Arrowsmith record in my opinion. Like I love that record. Yeah. Um, I love Joe's kind of you know Joe's Joe's singing style is probably an acquired taste, um, <laughs> but I love it. Like I love the sort of laid back like speak sing you know Mm -hmm. speak singy type of thing he does very different obviously from what tyler does and i love tyler too but i just love what he does on that record i think the songs are great i think his his guitar tone's great you know i think after that first record they get a little a little spottier partly you know because joe clearly wasn't in a good place in his in his life and there was a lot of turnover in terms of the the band members as well. He does more. He does less singing. He doesn't sing everything on that first record. But he probably half of it. I don't really remember exactly, but I think he does less as time goes on. And I think also those Joe Perry project records start to fall victim more to that '80s type of sound, like the you know the big reverby drums and just so that that sort of outdated sound. Whereas the first record sounds like a '70s record, even though it's like 1980 or whatever, but but yeah, like that first record, I think is just awesome, and I think probably his version of "Let the Music Do the Talking" is better than Aerosmith's version of "Let the Music Do the Talking." You know, so so I, I dig him.
0: Talking about the this big eighty sound, Aerosmith comes back with these, you know, their, their "Permanent Vacation" and mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. then "Pump." You know, just like these this one two punch of like, sure, here we are. The the singles are great. What do you do? You like that sound of Aerosmith? I mean, I guess you were probably you were like right in the thick of it that, you know, as a teen, do you, do you like listening back now on, on uh, those, those albums? Do you like those albums still?
2: I do. I'm not a huge fan of permanent vacation and I don't, I wasn't even at the time actually, which was interesting. Cause I was, I was like super deep into all that type of music at mm-hmm. the time, um, you know, the hair bands and all all the bands that sort of Aerosmith spawned, you right. know, whether directly or indirectly, but I remember being sort of under, I remember wanting to like that record more than I did. And even at the time only being like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, but like really just wanting to dig it more than I did. Like I, I you know, I didn't love, love like rag doll or angel or
0: mm-hmm.
2: any of that stuff that much pump on the other hand is just awesome. Like it says, I don't know what the difference was in between those two years, probably permanent vacation. They're probably still kind of getting their, feet back under them a little bit from you know the Mm -hmm. the downtime and like getting clean and all of that and maybe even just learning to play together again and and it's also a little bit more of like an 80s sounding record yeah um whereas pump comes out i guess you know 1989 i think and it's just i mean it sounds great the energy is like off the charts the songs are great and like you know tyler's funny again The, the plane's on fire and just you know i think that pump is as good as anything they did in the 70s and you know i probably would put on something from the 70s first because i you know i just kind of prefer it overall but you can't deny what they did on pump especially the first side of that that record which is when there were <laughs> sides to records but like I, i've always felt i mean you listen to the way it starts you know you go from like i think it starts with young lust and then it's F-I-N-E and then right into Love in an Elevator. And like those three songs just like explode Hmm. and it's just doesn't let up. And it's just like, it's just so energetic and so vibrant. And I really just think that that was another high point for them. And they looked great at the time, you know, they looked healthy. And, and it was, to me, that was sort of, I mean, Permanent Vacation was the comeback, but Pump kind of seemed like the, the turning point you know, where they really were like a force again.
1: To look at it objectively, you know, if you're a fan of the early stuff and then to to hear what they were putting out in the 80s, if you just, if you take them as separate entities almost, you can appreciate it more, I think.
2: I think so, yeah. And you even, you know, and I'm speaking to someone, I never saw them obviously in the 70s, but I did see them around the time of Pump. And, you know, even if you look at, videos on youtube or whatever from the 70s and then look at like i think around the time of pump they did there was a show a club show they did at the marquee in london like jimmy page comes up and plays with them a little bit it might have even been to like promote pump when it first comes out my uneducated sort of you know opinion again because i didn't <laughs> see them back in their heyday was is that they they seemed like they were probably a better live band in 1989 1990 even than they ever were in the 70s because it's just like they're just incredible to even see on stage like they're like you know it's just i mean just the energy again and like tyler and perry and all of them it's just it's unreal like what they just the level they were playing on i feel like at the time of pump
0: was that the time um was guns N' roses opening up for them then is that because i feel like that kind of pushed them like you know we gotta we gotta raise our game or
2: um i think you know i think guns N' roses may have been was that i don't know they may have been permanent vacation
0: actually yeah yeah i'm trying to think of the time yeah because that was the yeah that's yeah uh, but
2: i saw that because i saw them on the pump tour and i think like skid row was opening for them you know and skid row were (laughs) great at that time too um but but yeah but you know all these new bands were coming up that really sort of idolized aerosmith and you know I mean, yeah, Guns N' Roses weren't on the pump tour, but they had been on the tour before. So maybe even going into the studio the next time, which would have been when they made pump, it's like they're very aware of these bands that are sort of, you know, taking what they had done and bringing it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them doing it in a very good way, you know, like like Guns N' Roses, um, who were always very open about their love for Aerosmith. So, yeah, that probably gave him, you know, a little kick in the ass as well.
0: <laughs> Did you see, you saw uh, the metal year, decline of Western Civ, the metal years? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so I, I <laughs> what were your, yeah. Pre- and like,
2: yeah, Aerosmith don't look that good in that, right? And like they're, I guess, you know, they're probably like, I guess they're cleaned up at that point, I don't know, it's kind of like right around, mm-hmm. but like they're not, you know, they still seem a little bit shaky, even when they're talking, you know, so,
0: but yeah, so, yeah, I always remember because everyone had the scar, you know, like all these bands had scarves around the their microphone, mm-hmm. and they're asking them, "Where, the, where did you think of that idea?" Oh, I don't know, I don't know what right. that <laughs> is. You made it up. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I just made I it. Yeah, sad. it just
0: seemed like a cool thing. But yeah, everyone, right. everyone was paying homage to to, to Tyler. It's all Tyler. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> the, this whole this backward masking on sweet emotion is that? Do you know that to be true? I never, I never tried it myself. Where he was
2: oh i don't even know like what, what to, do you know what they're what they supposedly say or it,
1: it was something about saying goodbye to their their manager that they did, frank the manager okay so you don't know this i'm looking to an, an authority on the topic to know if it's true because i never i never
2: tried well, it <laughs> now that you mention it i think it the story sounds familiar and it might actually even be in the book um but again it's not something that i've come across in the last decade. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you can do, you can certainly do that stuff. And, like, I was, you know, I remember being a kid, again, like, with my brother and playing, like, Led Zeppelin 4 backwards and trying to hear, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think in Stairway to Heaven, they say, like, it's going to snow or something. I don't know. I don't even remember what it was. But, like, you would do that stuff and, and you would believe that you could hear it. Yeah. I don't remember if we actually did hear it. But, but yeah, you can do that. You can, you can certainly do it. So, yeah. I might have to go look on my vinyl after this and try yeah.
0: it out. <laughs> right. Before we had the internet, we had word of mouth. You had to, you yeah. had to hear it yeah. on yeah. the street. Yeah. I mean, you could actually, you could probably even just go on YouTube and <laughs> type I'm in. I'm like, sure it know, is. Yeah, I'm sure it is. On for, for only
1: 20,000 opinions. And, <laughs> right.
0: <Yeah. laughs> You're an author. What do you think of uh, both Steven Tyler and Joe Perry wrote uh, memoirs? What, mm-hmm. what do you think of those? Do you like those books?
2: I thought they were really good. Um, the the tyler one was more uh it was very for better or worse it was it sounded like tyler you know like it sounded it was well, like you very would hope like, so
0: <laughs>
2: yeah it was almost like just somebody recorded him and then like just transcribed, transcribed. yeah paper. yeah um i i think i remember like there might have been even been some things where you're reading that and you're like well that's not correct you know and like and again like someone's memory is their memory but You know, you're like, I don't think that's the way that happened. (laughs) Um, Or even like, and not stuff that it's like my opinion versus his. It's like when something like came out or was released, you know, at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter that much. I mean, you definitely get the vibe from him and you get where he's coming from. Um, You know, Joe's was more straight ahead. It sort of like matches kind of the way their personalities are. Like Joe's is more sort of just dry and honest and laying the facts out, or at least what he sees as the facts, and then tyler does it in his tyler way the book that was really great was the walk this way book which was the band autobiography that came out yeah. I guess, in the 90s and was sort of like an oral history yeah. where they're all speaking um and that was really that was i thought an excellent book it was obviously something that i read while researching my book um probably read even more than once um but i thought i thought that as far as band Biography autobiographies go that was a really well done book
1: it's funny yeah. i think dave and i we we've talked about this recently about how when you're reading a, a an autobiography when an artist who's been through so much mm-hmm. and they can recall such such a incidence with such clarity you wonder is that really how it happened but you have no right. nothing else to go by right <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah yeah um yeah i mean i mean the joke people always use is like Nikki six's Harold <laughs> diaries book and like how when he's you know, Odine in a closet. Like he also managed to um, do his his journal entry for that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it's 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 a book, and and you read it, and you sort of suspend disbelief, and and you know, go from there. Yeah.
0: Creative license. It's their story. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, well, we haven't even touched on the other three members of the band. You, you've got Joey mm-hmm. Kramer, the, he's amazing drummer, uh, Brad, Brad Whitford and Tom Hamilton. Um, yeah. What, can you just kind of touch on what they lend to the band and, and how they, you know, without those three guys, there, there is no Aerosmith, really, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, they're all certainly important to the band. And, you know, some of the guys have been in and out of it, like Joey Kramer, obviously, even mm-hmm. very recently. Yeah. But- you know, there's also something to be said for the fact that this is a band that's been around 50 years, and today has the same lineup that they had on the first record. And I don't really know any other band that has done that. Um, so clearly, they're all important. You know, for what they bring musically, and also just to personality-wise, to the mix. Um, Brad is like we were saying earlier; he's a great guitarist. A lot of people think of him as more of the technician type of guy uh, than Joe, and then. You know, Tom, as, as Stephen Tyler says at every show, introduces him as the guy who came up with the Sweet Emotion baseline, And, you know, you do that and sort of what else do you even need to do? Right. That's enough right there. But he's obviously great otherwise. And then Joey. And it's probably in my book and certainly in these other Aerosmith books, like there's, there's always, it's always been well documented, sort of the grief that he has gotten from Stephen Tyler over the years. Tyler also being a... You know, a sort of alpha personality and and a drummer originally. So he he sort of picked on Joey Kramer a lot, but Joey Kramer's a great drummer, which is probably why he always stayed there too. And he's one of these guys, you know, a big key to the Aerosmith sound is that funkiness (laughs) that they have, especially in the seventies. And a lot of that's Joey Kramer. And I think what's great about what he does is when a lot of these rock bands try to get funky, they sort of get very like, I don't know the way to put it, but they get very um, sort of overly funky and the sort of idea of what you think yeah. a funk rhythm is. And like the, they get, they sort of overly complicated. Whereas Joey Kramer and stuff like, you know, Walk This Way, even or Last Child, like he's able to, to bring that element to it really by playing just very, very straightforwardly, but very, very heavily in the pocket. And that just, that really brings it. It's not about doing these slippery little fills or kind of showing off, but like, he's just, he's, is solid, but really loose at the same time. And I, and that's a big part of the Arsenal Sound.
1: Yeah, you're right. Sometimes they, it sounds a bit contrived when they try mm-hmm. to get funky. When right. band's trying to get funky. Yeah. All right. So, yeah.
0: Should, should we touch on the, I want to touch on the play, time when they weren't <laughs> funky at all. There's the, I don't want to miss a thing song. Uh-huh. The, the big, I mean, that's, you know, the power ballad. Um, I guess this is a song for, I guess they, they did it for, for live. What was, what was the band Mm -hmm. entirely into that? I mean, it was their only number one, so I'm sure afterwards they all loved it. But, uh, you know, what, what was the feeling at the time?
2: I don't think at the time they loved it except for, um, I imagine Steven Tyler loved it. And I imagine that's why it's why it happened. You know, again, I can't speak for, for them and to say, oh, you know, Joe Perry didn't like it and that, but maybe he didn't. But what i do know is because i remember i think the first time that i did interview the guys it was when they were doing they had a greatest hits record that came out in the early 2000s call i think it was called oh yeah is when it came out and i went to joe's house that time and i interviewed i think it was joe brad and tom were there mm-hmm. and we were just talking about so because they were because it was the greatest hits record that was coming out we were talking about all the hits and all that and we did wind up talking about I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, which was just a few years old at that point. And I think it was Joe who made the comment, you know, that it was, that he didn't love it. And that, you know, he, he said, in 10 years' time, you know, we'll still be playing Sweet Emotion at every show, but we won't be playing I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. You know, it's almost 20 years later and they play I Don't Want to Miss a Thing at every show. Sure. Like that is, you know, that has never left the set list. Um, so, it, all of which is to say it's probably grown on them over the years and also it's just it's undeniable. Whether they like it or not, people want to hear it. And doesn't mean they have to play it because they have plenty of other hits that they could play and people would not go home not satisfied. But it's an acknowledgement that like people want to hear the song and it means something to people and you know, maybe that's enough to to keep it in there and to keep playing it.
0: What's the song that means the most to you <laughs> when you think Aerosmith? what's the number one cut that you put at the top of your playlist?
2: Um, my number one, you know, I think I've always loved the song draw the line. I think it's a great song. Um, you know, i loved it since I was a little kid. I feel like more recently it got more sort of spotlighted at their shows. Like a lot of times it's been the opener recently, um, over the past however many years. And I just think like, I don't know, it's got just a great groove to it. It's got, great lyrics a lot of attitude i I love you know where it kind of breaks down in the middle and then it comes back up and and tyler just sings that last verse and that super high screech Mm -hmm. which he still does perfectly to this day which is amazing because any other singer i think would just kind of not even attempt it anymore but he does it and he hits it every time and i just i just love the vibe of that song um i love the vibe of a song like uh combination On rocks, which is kind of this like weird, like Tyler and Perry both singing together or like singing over each other. You can't even really tell sometimes who's doing the lead on that. But it's just such a, you know, that that's another song that's got such a vibe and such really just evocative lyrics. You know, I think the thing with Aerosmith is like, especially nowadays, they're such an institution. They're all, and I mean, they're like they're family friendly at this point. I mean, to you know, let's be honest, but you hear some of that type of stuff and you kind of remember like they're, they were this sort of dirty, like ratty drug addled, you know, blue jean, like guys in the seventies. And like, you know, you kind of hear that seedy underside of where they're coming from and that sort of outsider thing that they don't have anymore on um, on a song like that. And, and that's, I think what I really love about it.
0: Well, you touched on family friendly and I guess um, that kind of, Led to uh, Tyler being on American Idol and being a, a judge, and mm-hmm. that kind of almost broke up the band once again. Yeah. Um, what and what officially? What I mean, I, you've talked to Joe Perry. Have you? Did you talk to him about that or that that situation?
2: I did. I talked to him about it. Um, one of the interviews I did with him, I think it was right when that was happening. I think it was either right before Tyler went on American Idol or right after, but it it was. You know, he, he talked to, and he talked in other interviews at the time about it, but he definitely talked to me about the fact that, like, I don't even think that they really knew it was happening yeah. until it happened. You know, they might have found out about it in the press or I don't know, yeah. but but there were clearly things going on behind the scenes. But he was not happy about it at the time. And he was it was it was during that time where I think he might have even said, you know, Aerosmith will continue with or without Tyler. Like they might have been talking internally yeah. about whether he could be replaced And I don't blame them for thinking like that. I mean, they probably felt pretty betrayed. (laughs) But, you know, Tyler, I'm sure, would have a million reasons why he could justify doing that. You know, but you can't really get into sort of the inner workings of these guys and the ups and downs over all these decades. But I do remember at that time he was was not happy. Um, And clearly you're not going to replace Steven Tyler and Aerosmith, but nor do you need to because Joe went out and he did a solo record and he did solo tours and, like, you can just – he has his own material to stand on anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, and I think the, the interesting thing that I would say about Steven Tyler, too, is just, you know, he did all of that. And it's just always, and I don't know if it really, you know, helped his reputation or hurt. I don't know that it really matters anyway. But it still, it was just amazing when he came back to Aerosmith. Like, I feel like every time I've seen Aerosmith over the past 10 years or whatever, I'm always thinking like, uh, eh, it won't be that great. Like, they're getting older, you know, seeing Tyler has all these health issues, he's been on TV, blah, blah, blah. And I'm always just amazed at how good the band is and really especially how good he is. Like, I don't know that there's any other guy from that classic rock era. I mean, you can like his voice or hate his voice, but his voice still sounds exactly like his voice did 40, 45 years ago. Like, and he hits every single note and he, you know, scats and ad libs and doesn't, you know, gasp for breath. And he runs around and dances and he, you know, humps the stage and does whatever else he's going to do, but he does it at 72 and he sounds phenomenal. And like, I don't think there's any other singer from the seventies or, that that still that, that hasn't changed something that has told the band to tune down a step or you know doesn't sing every word doesn't hit the high notes but he does he does it all and he does and he's incredible he's like this weird force of nature
1: it is a freak of nature it, thing yeah
2: like for sure. it, you know despite what he's done to himself over the right. years yeah.
0: so what would you say best american band american rock band what do you think where, where would think you that, what if you're going to rank your your american rock bands where would you uh
2: they're pretty you, high up there like i don't know you know i love i don't know i mean i love the bands everyone loves i, I love acdc i love led zeppelin and all but none of these bands are american right so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they might yeah so they might get it um you know they're certainly if they're not the top they're they're certainly one of the top you know you can't you can't deny that with them and they're still they're still going. Like if they, if we weren't all stuck at home right now, they'd be yeah. out on the road and like, I'd be going to see them and, and it'd be a great show. I mean, I saw them at the, I saw them in Vegas.
0: Was um, yeah. What was so. that like the residency? Cause I yeah. never got a chance to see that.
2: Yeah, that was great. I went to opening night. Um, and I did a story with, with Joe and Brad for that as well. And it was great. You know, I think, uh, again, it was a little bit weird cause they, they opened the show. It was this great sort of video montage and it went on for like a half hour of their whole history and like you know you're seeing but i think that maybe they read their audience a little bit wrong because i'm sitting there and it's like the people around me i mean they are people in vegas you know and like you go to vegas and you're like oh aerosmith's playing like i'll go see that but these are people that want to hear dude looks like a lady and you know or walk this way in sweet emotion or whatever i don't know that they care that much about seeing Sunapee, New Hampshire and the barn where they rehearsed and like you know and Ray Tavano and all this early stuff like they don't know about any of that stuff and they're not they're not that kind of fan but the show was great you know they it was a good mix of, of songs and you know it was a cool setup and the sound in that room was great because it was made specifically for that room and again it was another one of those things where I went in it had been a few years since I'd seen them and I was like eh, I don't know we'll see how it goes and like I was like,
0: Son, awesome. of, son of a bitch! Look at That's that! that. Yeah. They did again. Ah, yeah. t- <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, this has been great. Um, I I really appreciate. uh, I I could talk Aerosmith for a while. This is fun.
1: I could I could do a whole episode on Joe Perry. Yeah,
0: (laughs) we'll we'll do do another one. You know, one
2: episode on each guy. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. We got a podcast, a new podcast. This has been great. Thank you so much. Uh, Yeah, I really appreciate uh, you you taking the time and talk Aerosmith Wests. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. It
2: was you know again, just like you guys. I'm always game to talk. Aerosmith or, or
0: anything else. Oh, we're marking you down as a friend of the show. So every yes. time uh, <laughs> we need an, an authority figure, we'll reach out yeah. to you. <laughs> if you
2: need any
0: comment, just call me yeah. <laughs> <call, always laughs> out. No what this, what do you think Richard thinks of all this? Let, let's give him a call. <laughs> hey, shit. It's shit. Yeah, okay. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> shit sandwich. Boom. Yeah. yeah. You need. But yeah, I appreciate it. So that was cool. That was, okay, bit- was-, <laughs> was bitching. That was rad.
1: That was totally awesome. <laughs> oh, that was 80s, which is fitting. That was so great. I really learned a lot of things about the band I did not know. That was uh, super cool.
0: Yes, and you'll learn even more by digging further into this book because, uh, you know, when you get a box set of a, of a band, you usually get a small booklet and some information and uh, a little ephemeral type stuff. This book is chock full of it.
1: Yeah, the photos were great. The photos and all the, I mean, the ticket stubs. That was really fun to see.
0: That's right. I want to pay four bucks and see Aerosmith. Yes. <laughs> let's go back in time and do that.
1: Oh, those were the days. I bet he waited in line at Ticketmaster to get that ticket.
0: Yep. Or your local, let's see, in Boston, it was uh, Newberry Comics. I'm sure you had to wait in line at Newberry Comics to see your bad boys of Boston.
1: Whoa, good call. Yeah. You have that knowledge stored away.
0: That's right. Well, I, I know that. And the Toxic Twins. Who are the Toxic Twins, Holly?
1: The Toxic Twins, of course, are Joe Perry and Steven Tyler.
0: It was great too, to talk about the band. At the end of our podcast, we locked him in. He said he's a friend of the show. So as friend of the show, we can call him at any time and he will be on our podcast.
1: <laughs> no, it was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Richard Beanstalk for talking to oh. us about his Aerosmith book.
0: Big thank you to Steve Roth, he of the Quarto Group, who helped to hook us up with our new friend. Richard Beanstalk, thank you to Holly. Always part of the podcast and uh, my my favorite partner.
1: And thank you, Dave. Thank you for being <laughs> a friend.
0: <laughs> ah, very nice. Well, you know, it is Thanksgiving's coming up. So, you know, I'm thankful for you, Holly.
1: And I am thankful for you, Dave. Well, thank, thank you. You, for you are you are the best and perfect partner. I'm,
0: I'm going to save I'm that one. Leave that in. <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving that in.
1: <laughs> On that same thank you note, thank you to our audience for listening to the What Difference Does It Make podcast. And please follow us on on social media. You can find us everywhere at What Difference Does It Make Podcast or WDDIM Podcast.
0: WDDIMpodcast.com if you want to sign up for our monthly newsletter. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family. So until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.